Welcome to another Slate spoiler special. I am Sam Adams, and I am joined in Slate's New York studios by Marissa Martinelli. This week, we're spoiling the movie Shazam. Shazam is the story of Billy Batson, an itinerant foster child whose search for his birth mother brings him to a group home in Philadelphia. After defending his disabled foster brother from a pair of school bullies, Billy flees into the Philadelphia subway, but he's unknowingly transported to the Rock of Eternity, where he meets a wizard with a proposition, say my name and take on my powers. Saying that name, Shazam, transforms Billy into a muscle-bound superhero played by Zachary Levi, but he's still a 14-year-old boy inside, which means that even as he's defending the world from ancient terrors, he still has to figure out who he is and where he belongs. Um, So Marissa and I have both seen uh, Shazam. I think we both watched it uh, this week, and I saw it uh, before that a few weeks ago. So where, uh, where do you come down on Shazam, Marissa? So I went into this movie with the lowest of expectations. I had never heard of the character as someone who's not up and up on comics. I I did know that the character was originally called Captain Marvel, and that had to be changed for obvious reasons since we had a movie called Captain Marvel come out from a totally different studio not that long ago. Uh, But I went in with expecting very little, and I left the theater loving it. I thought this was so great and so refreshing. And... I, I'm interested to, to know how much you knew about it going in, Sam. Um, I knew, I mean, I knew that the character existed. I was aware, as you mentioned, that there, Shazam had kind of started out as Captain Marvel. There's a whole kind of insane history that has to do with characters' rights passing from like one character to another and kind of going out of circulation. And then another one created, there was, you know, there was kind of the, this DC version of Captain Marvel, who's now called Shazam. There was the Marvel version of Captain Marvel. There was kind of a knockoff version of Captain Marvel called Marvel Man in the UK, who was then revived as Miracle Man by Alan Moore in the 80s, um, which is now, of course, owned by Marvel Comics, but still called Miracle Man. Um, it, it's a whole thing. There's the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, this is this is uh, all takes place in the same universe. There's an <laughs> amazing Lenny Bruce cameo in Shazam. Um, yeah, so this is uh, you know this movie kind of gave off funny vibes beforehand because the the DC extended universe, which is this sort of this is kind of nominally a part of. We'll get into you know how much it actually connects, but it's been in this really kind of weird and unexpectedly interesting period of transition. It was kind of, as the reins of the universe had kind of been handed to Zack Snyder, who directed uh, Man of Steel and uh, Batman versus Superman, and then um, sort of most of the Justice League movie until he had to withdraw for personal reasons. And he had been steering it in a very, what I think you can really only call a very Zack Snyder-y direction. You know, this is very sort of, um, you know, men with bulging muscles and lots of lots of uh, you know, kind of comic booky darkness, and um, you know, he sort of thinks that the the whole idealistic concept of, of superheroes is basically kind of like kid stuff. You know, he he. Uh, there was a screening of some of his movies a couple of weeks ago, and somebody, I guess, asked him a question about, um, you know, whether or not his Batman was kind of like a murderer. And he basically and he basically said, well, though, it's really nice that you think that your heroes can be, like, you know, nice and moral, but you're living in a fucking dream world. <laughs> um, which is, when you're making a story about, like, men that fly is a weird thing to accuse people of. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, that was sort of Zack Snyder's thing. 
Um, and then along came, and it was all sort of building to Justice League, and there were going to be like two Justice League movies, and then this whole, you know, sort of scattering of things bouncing off of that. Um, and then along came a little movie, uh, which you may remember, called Wonder Woman. Um, I'm familiar. You are familiar. Yes, I know. You, you wrote about it for us. Um, and Wonder Woman um, was a huge success, both in box office terms and in terms of kind of cultural impact, and really offer just a sort of more nuanced and not jokey, but a sort of more, I would say, tonally varied and kind of, you know, somewhat lighthearted or witty take on the character. Um, that movie made like over $800 billion worldwide. That ended up being more than Justice League, which was supposed to be sort of the, you know, DC's Infinity War. Like, we're finally going to bring all our heroes together. And then Aquaman came out after that and made more than either of those movies. That's like, that's over a billion dollars around the world. And that was also like about a superhero who kind of like enjoyed being a superhero, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, the the Justice League thing kind of fizzled. It doesn't seem like there's going to be a second Justice League movie. You know, Ben Affleck and probably Henry Cavill are kind of out of the universe now. And then along comes Shazam, which is is theoretically takes place in the same world, not connected in plot terms to any of those movies by this kind of what feels like if, if you're not sort of pretty hardcore into DC comics, like this kind of low rent um, kind of, you know, sort of a Superman knockoff. There's sometimes rivals in the comics, but I mean, I think... Outside of, you know, if you're not a big DC reader, this is a character, as you said, that like most people haven't heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the movie doesn't look sort of especially expensive or impressive from the trailers. Uh, so it's just kind of like, what what the heck is this? You know, it's not, um, you know, it's not the Flash movie that was supposed to be coming this year. And now I think is most recently been pushed to like 2021 or something. Um you know, it's not the next Wonder Woman movie. It's not the Aquaman sequel. So, like, what is this thing? Um, and it turns out to be this really um, bizarrely, you know, sort of unusually low-key. You know, all of these comic book movies kind of fit into these enormous, like, multi-gazillion dollar franchises now. Um, and this one's kind of like, you know, low-key and a little bit charming. And there's he's sort of saving the world, but not, kind of not as you notice. Um, so, I mean, what did you... You know, I guess you sort of mentioned this, but what did you have expectations going in? You were just like, are you we just seeing this because we were going to talk about it today? Like, what brought you to Shazam in the first place? I saw it. I, I was definitely curious about it. I mean, as you as you pointed out in your review, it's basically big with superpowers, uh, and who doesn't love big? But I was really struck going in by the lightness that comes with the movie. Sort of takes on the kid-like persona. It's a very kid-like perception of superheroes where, you know, you have Zachary Levi in this really goofy costume and the the joy of uh, Billy and his his foster brother, um, Freddie, who are enmeshed in the tropes of the genre and really enjoy unpacking them, testing out his superpowers. And I found that lovely and refreshing in a way that even Wonder Woman and Aquaman didn't quite reach. Like it was so, we love superhero movies and we're making one. Uh, and that was fun. Tone-wise, it was really an interesting movie because the director, David F. Sandberg, has a background in horror. So you got this kind of technicolor, goofy brightness contrasted with the villains being actually like kind of scary. I mean, I'm not a 13-year-old boy, but I... That, that that balance was strange to me. Like, I was wondering a little bit who the audience for this movie is. 
Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting question. I mean, we'll sort of we'll kind of walk through some of the major points in the movie as, as we usually do in these things. So um, we start off in, I think, 1974. There's kind of a, a you know, early prequel scene where um, this uh, character who will, you know, eventually be uh, the villain of the movie, um, Dr. Thaddeus Savannah. Um, is, Mark Strong. Yes, Mark Strong. Although, Very good at playing villains. Yes, sadly not played by Mark Strong with uh, like Marvels. They don't. I guess DC doesn't have the de aging technique yet, so he's <laughs> when actually he's a kid. played by a played by an actual twelve year old boy and not like little Mark Strong. Um, he's just kind of driving down this uh, you know dark road, this icy dark road, with his father and older brother in the front seat, both of whom are kind of jerks. Um, and suddenly the, his he's playing with a magic eight ball, which suddenly starts flashing all these like weird symbols. And then the car speeds up and everyone else disappears and the windows go all frosty. And the next thing he know, he emerges into this kind of underground cavern, uh, which we'll late, we will later be told is called the Rock of Eternity. Um, and he's met by this wizard um, played by Jaiman Hansu, kind of offers him, give, gives him an offer. You know, I need to, I want you to kind of you know, grab my staff, say my name, and then my my powers will flow through you and be given to you. I have, I'm kind of old and running out of energy. My former six brothers and sisters on the councils of wizards have been killed, and I need somebody to take up my mantle and fight the seven deadly sins, who were kind of the main um, evil creatures in the movie. But first, you have to prove that you're pure of heart. Um, and Instead of taking him up on this offer, little Mark Strong is tempted by the seven deadly sins. You kind of whisper all these creepy little sweet nothings in his ear. Uh, Which so, we're not privy to. Yes. We don't actually get to hear the details most of the time. We hear, you know, oh, you can prove your father wrong. But it's very unclear what exactly they're promising him. Yes. Um, so anyway, so but he is he is sort of found wanting and and cast out. Um, and then we flash forward to basically now, so, you know, 40-odd years, um, and Shazam the Wizard uh, has apparently been having a been trying all along to find this one pure-of-heart person um, to take up you take up his mantle, and uh, apparently that's not so easy a task. Um, so by the time he gets around to now and to Billy Batten, Billy Batson, who is the, you know, 50th or 60th or 100th person he's tried— uh, it seems like his standards have gone down a little bit. I think he's he's tired is the point. He's near being defeated and he can no longer afford to be picky. Yes. So what, I mean, what do we sort of, how would you describe actual Billy Batson pre, pre-Shazam Billy? Uh, well, we know he's a foster kid and we know he has a habit of running away even from good homes uh, in all in pursuit of his mother who... He was separated from at a carnival as a child, and we see a flashback to that where they're having a wonderful time, and his mother wins him a prize, and he drops it, and he chases it into the crowd, and then he's lost, and apparently never she never came looking for him. Um, but he has been hunting her down. He has a whole list, a little notebook of people with her name, and he goes to all these different addresses to try to find her. Uh, and he's a rapscallion. He pulls pranks on the police. He is a little troublemaker. He's definitely not pure of heart. Yes. Yeah, he's a bit of a bit of a juvenile delinquent. It, in a in a very sort of kind of lighthearted like 60s TV show kind of way, mm-hmm. you know, he's just yeah, like you say he's kind of like a rapscallion, you know, he's a little scamp. Um does not actually do anything bad. Um but, but yeah, but but he's a handful, I guess mm-hmm. you would say. Um, but Shazam is kind of out of options at this point. So he, 
you know, after Billy performs this, you know, fairly like heroic act, these um, kind of jerky, like, you know, 80s teen movie villains are picking on his uh brother who walks with a what do you, what do you call, is that a cane or what do you call it with a, has a like a brace a yes. crutch yeah so these these kids at school these sort of sort of older 80s movie bullies are um picking on billy's foster brother freddie who walks with a crutch um he kind of steps in and and you know hits him in the face with the crutch and takes a stand for him uh, but then he's outnumbered so he runs away from them goes down into the, to the philadelphia subway which I have to say, as a resident of Philadelphia, looks only very vaguely like the Philadelphia subway. Um, <laughs> they made up for it with all the Rocky stuff. They did. They did. Yes, we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, so he runs down into the subway. Same thing that Mark Strong experienced. Like the thing goes fast. It turns all, you know, sort of uh, icy. He emerges into this cave and the wizard says the same thing. You know, place your hands on my staff um, and my power will flow through you. And Billy, being a 14-year-old boy, um, when somebody says, place both hands on my staff, <laughs> he's just... <clears throat> You know, it's like, oh, really, dude? Um, and that's, I mean, that's very much kind of the character in in a nutshell. You know, and when the wizard says, you know, say my name, Shazam. And and Billy just kind of snorts at him. Like, this is the, like the dumbest thing he's ever heard of. Um, I love that because I also had that thought of like, Shazam is such a cheesy name for a superhero. And I like that the movie winked at it and made it actually within the, it's acknowledged, it's meta. Yeah, this. I mean, this is kind of a long-standing complaint of mine. I mean, I, um, you know, read like you know, The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen, like as a teenager, and that that vision of you know, kind of dark and gritty and quote-unquote realistic superheroes was very intoxicating as a teenager. But it has become, you know, it is no longer a kind of correction to the mainstream that has very much kind of become the mainstream. Mm-hmm. And it seems like a lot of certainly the the movies have largely forgotten that superheroes as a concept are like kind of ridiculous even if you want to go into the notion of like people with like you know superhuman powers like doing good and saving the world it's like well why do they have to then wear like bright like you know skin tight underwear Mm -hmm. and capes to do that like that's just not uh, you know it's it's all kind of foolish and i don't um i don't really say that in a bad way but i think like the movies really could do with leaning into that Somewhat um, like this, you know, the Spider-Man movies have done it a little bit, um, but but Shazam really like does it pretty hard, almost as almost as hard as anything I can think of. And it's really kind of delightful. And it feels like it was really um, pleasant corrective to this coming out within a couple weeks of Infinity War um, mm-hmm. or uh, Avengers Endgame. Endgame, I guess. Yes. Um, which just looks to be a very, you know, heavy, dark, you know, everyone in the world is dead and what do we do about it kind of thing. Um, and to, to Justice League as well and the Batman versus Superman and that very and the Zack Snyder direction that DC was going in. Um, this is just totally kind of the complete opposite of that. And it's such a, a joy. It also takes advantage of it visually because... As I said, Zachary Levi's character is, his costume is ridiculous and the movie's self-aware about it. But it also contradicts with this world they've created. The Rock of Eternity is sort of ancient looking and dimly lit. And the villains are these clouds that are also statues. And then you have this bright pop of color. And it's never really explained why this is the form that has been assigned to this superhero and to later superheroes in the movie. It's just like a child's imagining of what a superhero is. Right. And supposedly this is, is there's a, a brief backstory where Shazam the wizard um, talks about, you know, once I give my power to this champion and he turned bad and he unleashed the seven deadly sins and you, there's a little sort of um, 
I don't know, kind of like sort of congealing like CGI sparkles or something that form into kind of stars in front of Billy Batson and kind of um, show the whole thing and kind of sort of outline, I don't know, outline puppet form or something. And that that original champion seems to be kind of costumed in the same way Shazam is. Um, but there's no, I mean, I don't know why this is a movie where the powers come from a wizard. So why you need to sort of like explain, well, why does he, why does he then have like a, you know, bright white kind of satiny cape and like red sort of, you know, like 1920s strongman muscles and things like that. It's just, it's all, um, I think one of the keys to the movie is just that it prominently features like a wizard, you know, there's no, yeah. Okay. So Aquaman's like, you know, half, you know, Atlantean, um, God and, um, you know, Diana is this sort of, you know, Amazonian royalty. Um, but there's some sort of, I don't know, grounding is the wrong word to you, but there's some sort of like an explanation. Yes. For like why they have these powers. And in this case, the answer is literally to paraphrase the Simpsons, a wizard did it. (laughs) Um, I kind of wondered though, was he sitting around like, I should get into costume design while I wait. Yeah. I mean, maybe. I don't know what wizards what do with their spare time. What was the vision board for this? Yeah, I mean, if he had like 45 years and he only contacted like 50, 60 people, that was a <laughs> lot of spare time to just hang out in the Rock of Eternity and work on his beard, I guess. Um, so let's see what happens. After- well, as this is all happening, we know that uh, Mark Strong, Thaddeus, has now grown up to be Mark Strong, and he has been searching the world for people who have experienced the same thing he did as a child because his experience with the wizard ended with an altercation within the car with his brother and father as they were driving. Uh, They sort of fought over the magic eight ball, and the result was a car crash that left his father in a wheelchair. Uh, And this obviously has shaped him as a person, and he has a lot of resentment because the villain of this movie in a lot of ways is toxic masculinity. Um, This little boy whose father and brother belittled him and told him he wasn't tough and he's not a man and he'll never be a man. And he grows up in pursuit of the very factors that caused this one mistake so that he can take power and finally prove himself. And and because this is a spoiler special, we can kind of, you know, jump forward to the ending a little bit and just say that it is... And it's not surprising once you've kind of been with this Dr. Savannah character for a while, but it turns out that the really key one of the seven deadly sins that he's most closely bonded to is envy. Mm -hmm. To Uh, the point where the other ones physically manifest outside of him, but envy stays within him uh, because he's so closely identified and because that's where he's drawing his power from. Yeah, having watched, I went went back and saw the movie a second time, and, and there's there's a big deal made at the climax of the movie, you're like, oh, how many deadly sins are, like, out of him, and how many are still, like, remaining in his little glowy purple eye, and it's, you know, five or it's six, and there's always one in there, and the climax of the movie is figuring out how to get that seventh one out. I'm not sure the movie entirely, like, plays along with that for the entire time. I, was, I kept sort of, like, counting deadly sins in the earlier scenes, and I don't think we need to get into all of that. Um... I wish the movie had made more of the deadly sins. It's an interesting concept that isn't really engaged with necessarily. There is a scene early on where Mark Strong confronts his father and six greed on him because his father has a massive company and therefore must be greedy. And greed has sort of extra arms to symbolize. And you can see gluttony has like a mouth on its stomach. But I, I really do wish the movie had made more visually and conceptually of the seven deadly sins as villains. Yeah. I mean, I think it's sort of, it works with the movie in a way that like the villain isn't that interesting or 
or scary in some ways. It's yeah. Because the hero is interesting. Yeah. You have a very conventional villain played by Mark Strong who's good at doing that to contrast this very unconventional superhero. Yeah. So, you know, watching it again, I mean, I was I was really it really cemented for me how much because I had heard good things about this um about the movie from people who had seen it earlier. And I started watching it and, you know, but that also sort of happens like every superhero movie. Somehow they managed to find for every, every, certainly every new Marvel movie. There's always somehow like some critics like, this is the best one yet, you know, and this is the one that's better than the one before it. That was also the best one yet. And I just, I don't trust those anymore because it's, I mean, I'm sure those people really love the movies, but I often end up not loving them. So I don't, I'm always just going to like, well, we'll see. Um, and the first 20 minutes of this movie, I was kind of like, uh, this is like happened again. Like people are like, oh, Shazam is so great. And it seems kind of like, it's really just kind of like grinding along in second. Um, and it was much more clear to me the second time through how much the movie kind of catches fire once um, Billy says Shazam and Zachary Levi comes on. Mm -hmm. He is basically, you know, as you mentioned, kind of playing this character who's sort of like a Superman version of Tom Hanks in Big. He has this, you know, amazing, you know, very obviously kind of padded, muscly adult body. Um, but he's st still very much like a 14-year-old boy inside. And some of the first things he does when he gets his body is he's like, oh, I can buy beer. You know, <laughs> I can go in a strip club. Um, although he goes into a strip club and the only thing he comes out with is like a basket of hot wings. You know, he's not even like, doesn't even quite understand what's going on. And they're just like, wow, all the ladies are really nice. He ran uh, out of money real quick. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, because he probably paid like $75 for like six chicken wings or something. <laughs> um so, but yeah, but so, and he, you know, he gets the beer and I was a little, I was a little like, well, like, you know, but children are going to watch this movie and it's not like 13 year olds don't know about buying beer. Um, but I was, a, you know, it was a little surprising to me that a sort of, you know, like Warner Brothers product would sort of semi endorse that. And of course, as soon as he gets the beer, um, it's done really well, actually, they come right out of the convenience store, like spit it out. They're like, oh, that tastes terrible. And then there's just like a smash cut of them walking out with like you know, energy drinks and hot beef jerky and stuff like that. And it turns like that's actually what they want because they're not even like old enough to sort of fully take advantage of it. But he just, Zachary Levi just did like such a good job of kind of semi-inhabiting his own body of the kind of never letting you lose sight of the fact that there's a kid inside him. For me, the convenience store scene is where the movie really clicked uh, because Jack Dylan Grazer, who's Freddie, who's the, who's an actual child for the, most of the movie uh he and zachary Levi have a good back and forth chemistry and it was very fun when the convenience store gets robbed and freddie's like shoot him in the face because they're testing his powers and I, it was just it was so it, it's ludicrous to have that many powers but the joy that they took in finding out what they are really sold it yeah and, the, and they do again they do a great job with this whole because you sort of have to have with an origin story, like some, how to, how to, he's just like, you're a superhero. Okay. But it's like, what, what can I do? Like, am I, you know, do I have like laser beams that shoot out of my eyes? Can I like, can I teleport? Can I fly? Am I strong? Like, what's my power? And they do this as a series of, um, I mean, they, they do it as a series of tests and they are the, 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 uh, the movie's very kind of like YouTube conscious in a lot of ways. So they actually do these things as kind of like little YouTube short films and upload them. And before he's like actually fought anybody or really done anything good, 
um, Shazam kind of goes viral in the mm-hmm. world of the movie. Um, yeah, so he is, and again, because he's like a teenager, he like doesn't uh, handle it all that well. He's like, oh, cool, I'm famous, so now I can like charge people for selfies, and I can like go out and like now that I have these amazing powers, I can go out and like show them off and like busk. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's like standing on the top of the art museum steps in Philadelphia, shooting lightning out of his hands, like singing aloud to the Rocky theme. And he's got like a guitar case in front of him and he's like you kind of like showing off her superhero powers for tips, basically, which is just I mean, it's a like a ludicrous concept, but it's also sort of like, well, you know, maybe maybe you would do that. You know, maybe you wouldn't But not even it. as a kid. I mean, as an ordinary person who's not an Amazonian warrior or a half undersea god. Like, if you got superpowers like that, wouldn't you pull some shenanigans? I think I would. I don't know if I'd zap an ATM necessarily, but I would definitely have a lot of fun testing them out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's great that, like, Bruce Wayne is, like, already a billionaire and stuff, but everybody else, I mean, you know, why does does Superman have to work like such a crappy day job? You know, I mean, you could certainly get out of media and go into some more lucrative and stable industry. He's an alien. Yeah. (laughs) In this case, not only did we have a child, but we had an actual ordinary human being who did not sign up for this, but is fully embracing it. Yeah, and I mean, I kept going back to, I mean, the comparison with Spider-Man, I mean, especially mm-hmm. um, last year's Into the Spider-Verse, but also the kind of new Tom Holland version of it, which is is more, sort of leans more into the kind of awkward teenager aspect mm-hmm. of, of the character. Um, and and it, he, I think, is kind of the only other comparable superhero who's had as much sort of like, wee! Like, I'm a superhero. This is awesome thing. But I mean, the Spider-Man's origin story, too, is like that he gets punished for that. Like, he does this kind of Shazam thing in the in this movie where he's like, you know, showing off and just being really, really into like having his cool powers. And because he's dicking around, like he lets a mugger go and that mugger kills his Uncle Ben. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, with great power comes responsibility, which basically means like you can't really enjoy this. And this movie much. nods toward that, too, when he's shooting his lightning and he accidentally causes a bus to go careening off a bridge and there's a very tense moment where he has to actually do something heroic beyond charging people's cell phones and and I thought there might actually be consequences but he pulls it off and he manages to save everyone. Right, although that is the moment, and it takes like quite a while. Um, I, I remember getting a, a message from you last night when you were heading to the screening, and you were like, this thing is two hours and 12 minutes long. <laughs> um, you know what? Yeah. And, and your response was that it didn't feel two hours and 12 minutes long. And you were right and you were wrong. Uh, I think for the, the meat of the movie, that second act, it goes by so quick, and it's so peppy. But I think this movie still fell into the same, like, third act, never-ending battle right. problems. The origin at the beginning is too long. Yeah. A prolonged kind of drawn-out blockbuster, right. which it didn't need to be. But it was still, I think, that that middle chunk, there's like a perfect movie in there. Yeah, yeah. So it takes about, I mean, it takes about an hour, I think, or, you know, give or take, for... Um, Shazam and the villain Dr. Savannah to like actually come together but it does happen kind of after this thing so it is sort of like he's he's given into you know the, he's finally starting to see consequences for just being kind of like 
you know, a, a kind of show off with his powers. And so he, you know, accidentally like shoots an overpass and like makes a bus go off it. And he saves the bus and all the people on it are fine. Uh, but that's when Dr. Probably fine. Should, yes. We should point out some of them hit the glass pretty hard. I was yeah. like, what? they're just all walking off the bus. They're fine. Yes. I mean, no the, concussions, the, no broken bones. Yeah. That scene does not, you know, hold up to the laws of physics. And lots of, <laughs> for one thing, he's sort of like a bus, you know, like plummets, you know, I don't know, 50, 60 feet off an overpass. And he catches it by like the glass of the front window. And I'm just like, uh, that would break. <laughs> um, but anyway, so this is when um, Dr. Savannah shows up and Shazam kind of treats him like he's a just kind of annoying autograph hound. And he's like, dude, you know, like, oh, okay, whatever. I don't know what your deal is. And like, nice coat that you're wearing and stuff. Uh, and then um, Dr. Savannah punches him and he it hurts. And this is like a huge, this is one of the things I really like about this movie. This is like not only a shock to Shazam, but he's, it's actually like scary. He kind of like goes up in the air, falls down on a police car and he's got a bloody nose and it's just, you don't actually see like, you know, sometimes heroes get sort of dramatic, like forehead cuts or something like that. But like, when was the last time you saw a hero with just like a bloody nose? That's a good point. Yeah. I cannot recall a time. Also, he, he plays it the way a young person would with like, there's no pretending to tough it out. Or, you know, there's no ra- instant rage. He's afraid, which is nice to see, especially because Mark Strong's character is so, he, he's had this upbringing where he's been told to, like, repress those kind of emotions. And so you have the nice contrast of Shazam embodying them and not knowing that society wants him to suppress them. Right. And so Billy, um, you know, they have this kind of fight in the air and Billy just kind of gets his ass kicked in like 12 different ways. And the only way he eventually escapes him is by kind of de-shazamming and turning back into his teenage self, who, of course, the, the Dr. Savannah does not, you know, does not know that that's a thing. So he doesn't know to look for a kind of like a, a weedy little 14 year old boy. Um but he does. I mean, he he takes, you know, I guess what you might call the coward's way out. He just kind of runs away. Um, that has then has consequences because then Dr. Savannah finds um, his uh, foster brother, Freddie, follows him back to the house um, and then kind of takes his uh, foster siblings, all five of them, hostage, um, which eventually kind of uh, leads to the, the climax. I mean, there's I guess there's a lot we're, we're leaving out, but it, and it feels... As you were saying, like the movie doesn't feel long in a lot of it, but it does when you're kind of just trying to get to like the important plot beats. There aren't actually that many of them. I guess there's a lot of it that's devoted to character. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't feel like in a lot of these movies, it feels like that's the stuff that the movie's just kind of like paying lip service to. Like, oh, okay, the hero has to have like some flaw that they overcome or whatever. Um, in Shazam, it really feels like that's actually what the movie is interested in. And some of the other stuff you know, suffers a little bit by comparison. Some of the big fight scenes and stuff feel like they're just there because they have to be there. And actually what we want to do is this like kind of awkward teenage stuff. Like that's Mm -hmm. where, that's what the movie's really interested in. Well, the relationships are very meaningful and a major one for Billy is he's in this lovely group home where it's two former foster kids who have taken in now six foster kids. But he still is always looking for his mother and it's actually his foster siblings who find her for him and he goes to see her and we get a flashback to the same scene that we saw early in the movie from Billy's point of view, from her point of view, where they're at the carnival and it turns out for her, it was not a great day for her. She was 17 with a a son that she wasn't expecting. She's frazzled. 
she sees him get lost and then she sees that the police are taking care of him and she just walks away. So to him, what was a tragic separation was actually her making a choice. And her life is not so great, it's implied. Uh, when he finally gets face to face with her, it's not a touching reunion. In fact, she says she's a, this is not a good time. And you hear someone calling from inside and it sounds like a very angry man. Yep. And there's no kind of closure there except for... Billy yeah. finally gets to choose his family now that he knows that there isn't one waiting for him. Right. I mean, he said, I mean, he said one of his foster siblings found out, okay, well, the reason you haven't heard from anybody is because um, your dad's been in prison for 10 mm-hmm. years, um, but your mom's like been, you know, two subway stops away this whole time. Um, That's deeply sad in a movie that is this goofy. Right. It, no, it is. It is very sad. And, and even the sort of, because that open to that sort of opening, you know, childhood Billy scene that you're mentioning is, you know, you never, you don't want to subject any superhero movie to that much kind of, you know, plausibility test. But the whole idea that like, oh, his mom lost him at a carnival and then he hasn't been able to find her for 10 years is like, well, that's not, does he not know his name? Does he not know where he lives? Like, how do you not find your mom after that? So that, was kind of nagging at me for the the better part of an mm-hmm. hour or so. And then to find out that it was like, oh, actually, his mom didn't lose him. She kind of took advantage of this to abandon him to what she kind of rationalizes and says was probably a better life. Mm-hmm. But it really was just kind of her opportunity to, to get out. And that is clearly kind of... Um, you know, weighed on her or set her on or kept her on a pretty sort of miserable uh, life path. And it turns out that Billy has been um, for as kind of, you know, troubled and fitful as his life has been, has probably been better off. They could have gone the saccharine route. And in fact, they almost did where when he first hears that his uh, foster siblings have found his mother, he says, oh, she's dead based on their faces. And the answer is no, she's two subway blocks away. Like, that is a a different version of this movie would have gone with, oh, she's dead, and therefore the memory of her is, you know, preserved as sort of this wonderful, lost, tragic mother. But there's there's a nice found family aspect that goes hand in hand with superhero movies in that there are these groups of people with disparate powers who are often outcasts or misfits in some way who find each other and unite for a common goal. Yeah, and the climax of the movie, that scene with his mother ends with him saying, well, I have to get back to my real family. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's been a a conversation you've heard between the foster mom and dad before about how it isn't a home until you call it a home. So what they're doing is, like, we're going to provide a loving environment for this kid. Whether or not he chooses to stay or or be at home is that's like out of our control. Like he has to pick that. So it is very much, I mean, kind of literally a family of choice. Like he has to say, okay, this is where I belong. And him saying, okay, I have to get back to my real family is like he's made that choice. And the climax of the movie really leans into that in an interesting way and one that brings it, um, and I couldn't get into this into this in the review because it's too spoilery, but it, it really leans into that family aspect in a way that brings it very close to um, into the Spider-Verse from last year. So not surprisingly, there's like a big fight between him and the villain. Um, Billy wins. There's a really great um, moment that I just want to single out, a kind of wonderful um, kind of meta demythologizing moment where the two of them are kind of, you know, they fly up above the city. They're, like, facing each other across buildings. You know, Mark Strong starts giving this big evil villain speech, and then it cuts to Billy's perspective, and because he's 
you know, 300 feet away and up in, you know, at the top of the buildings, he can't hear anything Mark Strong is saying. And he just starts yelling. I'm like, I can't hear anything you're saying. And he's just kind of making little flapping mouth motions with his hands. Come back to Mark Strong is still giving his big dramatic speech and totally unaware that it's not getting through. And you just kind of realize like, oh, this trope that we've seen in like every movie is actually like incredibly dumb. And lampooning it really, for me, justified having such a generic villain right. in the movie itself because it could really only wink at the villain in that way because he was so Mark Strong, like really grimacing and, yeah. and you know, monologuing throughout Black the Black leather movie. jacket. And exactly. Yeah. Um, so, but the, the key beat in that last scene um, is that, you know, Mark Strong, his plan is to force Billy to do um, what the wizard had him do in the first place, which is to kind of grab onto the wizard's staff, say Shazam again this time. Mark Strong will be the one kind of receiving the power, and he, in addition to having the evil power of the seven deadly sins, will also have, like, the good, you know, Shazam wizard power and then have all the power and be all-powerful or something. To what end? I think this was a big plot hole, and that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world because th- this is a movie where I'm much more interested in Billy's interpersonal relationships than in whatever Mark Strong's goal was. But we see very early in the movie that he gets his revenge on his brother and father, and it's it leaves this question of why is he doing this? What is the plan after he actually assumes this power and we never get an answer yes he he does not have like a he doesn't know where he wants to be in five years (laughs) (laughs) um so but so what happens then is billy um both because he's fighting this one guy and the seven deadly sins um is vastly outnumbered but also realizes that he maybe doesn't want to actually kind of shoulder this big grim you know solitary superhero burden all by himself so he grabs the staff away from Dr. Savannah and does the same thing, but instead he does it with his five foster siblings. And so they all grab onto the staff, um, which is a, a gesture. The writing here is a little soft, so I didn't quite pull this together until the second time, but it is it is a reflection of they do a kind of, you know, all hands on, you know, all hands on deck kind of, you know, a huddle thing is their way of kind of doing grace around the family dinner table. So he says, you know, all hands on deck and they all put their hands in. And Billy's kind of absented himself from that because he's not quite sure that he wants to belong. But so they all put their hands in on the staff and they say, um, you know, they say his name. Eventually they say the wrong name first. He says, say my name. And they all say, Billy. <laughs> yes. Which is another great, like, it's a fairy, like the music goes all there. And like, you know, the French words are coming in and whatever. And then it just like goes flat um but they say shazam and all of a sudden there are six mm-hmm. shazams not seven and, key yes. key point the movie there are a lot of sevens seven wizards yeah. seven deadly sins but there are six of them so I'm, I'm wondering if that's gesturing toward a potential sequel or or it's it's you know billy and mark strong and mark strong has the seven deadly sins and billy has five foster siblings and two foster parents mm. And that's seven. So I mean, yeah, and then I'm sitting there like I, it kind of like trying to do math in my head while I'm watching it. And I'm like, well, this is actually maybe not that important. But yeah, so there's all of a sudden there's this Shazam force. And I'm like the sort of various, um, you know, spider men and women in Into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. It is a kind of a, you know, like racially and, and gender diverse bunch. And it's, you know, it's this interesting 
not exactly a subversion, but a complication of, you know, this is another superhero ma- superhero movie about a, you know, tortured in a teenage sense, kind of angsty white male who gets mm. these powers to solve all his problems. Um, but he decides, like, he, I don't actually want to be, like, just the guy. Right. You know, I would rather share this with my, you know, blended foster family. Um, and and so the the family all transforms. They're, they got a pretty sort of cool group of adult actors to play them, including um, Adam Brody, who is a kind of great addition to the team, and, and uh, Megan Good and, and some other people. Um, and so they all fight, and they win, of course. They and, do, and, and when they all shazamify, uh, for lack of a better term, we see the characterizations of the foster siblings pay off a little bit because Shazam has a variety of powers and they all, I don't know if they only get one power, if they all each only use one power, but you see kind of Pedro, who's always lifting weights, is really, really strong. He can hold up the Ferris wheel. Um, Darla, who's the little one and a fast talker, uh, she's really quick. Um and you see Freddy, who has limps for most of the movie, and he, he his sort of central question when he's trying to get to know Billy is flight or invisibility, the classic superhero choice. Um, invisibility being the answer that everyone maybe secretly wants because you could do sneaky stuff with invisibility, but flight being the choice of a hero and the choice that everyone says, he has flight. So the implication is that he has the heart of a hero. Um, so that was a nice touch. Yeah, that's good. I, I hadn't thought about, like, I, I sort of noticed their powers being parceled out, but I didn't really um, put together with that. And, and, you know, and it is it is sort of a surprisingly, like, well-written movie in that sense. That is not, it doesn't kind of underline it. And because there's all this kind of, you know, goofy banter and, and um, you know, not quite, fart jokes, but kind of like stuff on the level mm-hmm. that like I've had a number of people ask me kind of, oh, is this appropriate for my kids? And there's some like, you know, borderline like PG-13 stuff, like maybe the seven deadly sins are a little scary. There is a joke that involves like at least kind of being vaguely aware of what a strip club is and mm-hmm. um, stuff like Although that. But we don't go inside. We That's kind of the joke yes. is that we never go inside, even though they keep revisiting the strip club. Yeah. It reminded me very much. And I'm uh, this may be partly because, um, you know, of, of, the Captain Marvel movie about the character who is currently named Captain Marvel, um, also kind of being a you know period piece. But this one felt it reminded me a lot of kind of just generic kind of eighties action movies in a way. Like there is this sort of it doesn't look like it costs two hundred million dollars. It doesn't you know the CGI is not amazing. Um, you know a lot of the scenes are just like you know even like 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 his costume's not that impressive he's not sort of you know lit like this greek god or anything a lot of these scenes are just like oh that's obviously some guy in like spandex and a kid like in an alley talking you uh-huh. know that scene looks like it costs like 50 bucks to shoot um so th- but it i found that kind of threadbare quality kind of oddly appealing mm-hmm. in a way um it may just be kind of in contrast to sort of all these other movies but I, that felt kind of enjoyably low-key. It me. also creates some fun contrast. So the the very end of the movie is Freddy at lunch in the cafeteria, and Billy had promised, or he didn't promise earlier in the movie, but Freddy wanted him to come in as Shazam and sit with him because Freddy feels invisible and everybody loves Shazam, and Billy does not go through with it, and it's humiliating for Freddy. And the movie ends with 
Shazam coming and sitting with him and all the foster kids and everyone in the school is really impressed. And then Shazam mentions that he brought a friend and in walks the torso because we don't see the head of Superman. In walks the Henry Cavill not was not available version of exactly. Superman. Yeah. And it was it's just very funny to see Superman in a, in a cafeteria of what is like a middle school, high school. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it's a great, it's a great moment, and I sort of just, and even the way when Zachary Levi comes out there and he's saying like, "Hello, it's Freddy," like I'm, you know, and he's doing like he's an adult, but he's sort of talking as if he's a kid, mm-hmm. putting on an adult voice, like, "Hello, I am a hero. I am here to talk to my friend," <laughs> and it just, you know, it just reminds you of like, you know, the stupid voices that like, you know, Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton and everybody else to put on to play, or Christian Bale is the worst. Um, sorry, people. Uh, but, you know, these, like, ridiculous, like, you know, gravelly voices that people have been put on to play Batman and a lot of these sort of more self-consciously serious superheroes. And it's like, well, they can just uh, talk like a person. Yep. It's fine. Um, so that almost brings us to the end. There is one um, post credit scene that we have to uh, talk about. Um, so you warned me about this post credit scene, and you said it's a WTF post credit scene. So I had my guard up and was waiting for it to be WTF, and it was extremely weird. Why do you, why don't you describe it? Uh, so the after the credits, we see Mark Strong. He's been imprisoned, and he's scrawling the symbols from the movie all over the wall, and he's clearly consumed by it, and he's been defeated. And all of a sudden, this voice starts speaking to him in his cell, and he looks around for the source of it. And, you know, you think it's going to be the guy in the cell next door or something like that or some sort of beyond spirit. And then the camera pans to this like caterpillar-like creature that looks like it's out of Alice in Wonderland with a little voice box. And it is extremely weird. Yes, and it's just, even in a movie that is weird and goofy, it's just like, now there's a talking caterpillar um, who's talking about, like, now the seven realms will be ours. And it's just like, what what is going on (laughs) here? Yeah, so this is, I think a lot of people are probably going to be Googling this in the theater. Um, But so you don't have to, this is apparently, and I'm I'm not going to put myself out as an expert on Shazamology here, but I've now looked this up. Um, This is a character named Mr. Mind. He is a kind of hyper-intelligent alien worm who figures into the Shazam universe and is described at one point as, quote, having the body of a lowly worm, the conscience of a Hitler, and the brain of a genius. <laughs> That's quite a combination. Yes. So this this is one of those, even more than the kind of like sort of the Howard the Duck, um, like post-credit scene in Gardens of the Galaxy, this just seems very much kind of like a piss take on... Um, all these post credit scenes, like setting up this ominous sequels and, and stuff. There may be another Shazam. There were rumors that, I mean, this movie was originally at one point, Dwayne Johnson was going to play Shazam. Then he mm. decided that he wanted to play black Adam. Who's this kind of historic um, nemesis of Shazam's. Then he was not in the movie at all. Um, there are rumors. There's no confirmed sequel yet, but that he might, you know, he might figure into the sequel. I think probably people would probably rather see uh, Dwayne Johnson playing Black Adam than like a CGI worm as the main nemesis in the movie. I mean, I'm I'm no expert, um, but it, it's just this hilarious, like, just what is going on? Got to like, get the CGI worm demo. Yes, exactly. Um, so, Marissa, would you like to see uh, Captain Marvel come back and fight a hyper-intelligent Hitler worm? Um, are you going to be recommending 
Shazam to all your friends? Where do you come out? Come down it's on this? It's hard to say no to that potential synopsis. I also think I, I would worry that a lot of this movie's fun was about a little boy embodying this superhero body and learning to use his powers and a sequel presumably would not feature any of that. So that would be my main concern with a sequel. Yeah, I'm sort of, I I enjoyed the movie very much. I am probably going to end up seeing it a third time just because I have a a nine-year-old who can quote the trailer from memory um, and was not able to go to either screening with me. So I will probably end up seeing again. I would be fine as much as I like this movie with that being it as much because I'm so tired of like mandatory sequels to everything Mm -hmm. and just could like, could we just enjoy this one movie? Um, There are, you know, jokes. There's a whole sort of animated uh, credit sequence that are kind of joking about like how this character would fit in the larger um, DC universe. It is very difficult to imagine um, even as as kind of lighthearted as some of the moments in, say, Aquaman are, it's pretty hard to imagine um, Shazam being alongside and, like, those characters kind of existing in the same tonal universe, and I feel like he's kind of better off on his, on his own. Right, we see in the credits, the animated sequence, he steals the Batmobile the same way that he stole the police car at the beginning of the movie. Yes, and this is all done in this sort of, like, you know, and kind of pencil animation and line paper. Like these are kind of the idle, you know, doodles you would draw like in boring math class or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like Shazam. I recommend it. I would be very happy if there if there were no more Shazam movies. If they want to make another one. I will probably check it out. But but for now, I am perfectly happy with all the Shazam that we have. We'll call you Shazam Adams. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> all right. Thank you for listening. I'm Shazam Adams. Uh, Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special podcast feed. And if you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our producer is Danielle Hewitt, and our engineer is Merritt Jacob. Thanks for listening. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.